Everybody. Damn it, I saw buddy. Daddy Mike on the show, everybody. <laughs> Ladies and gentlemen, I give you Tim Stafford. <laughs> Drum roll, please. Who's that? Hit that music. Ladies and gentlemen, that is about the best intro we can get out of Seth. There is a, I don't know if you ever saw the Vandals in concert. They're, I've um, never. They're a punk band. They opened for Pearl Jam a couple of times. But they had a guy in their band whose only job, he was a hype man. He just ran around the stage the whole show, doesn't play an <laughs> instrument, and just hypes the crowd up. And he's doing costumes. I think he did it naked a couple of times. But it's like Seth would be such yeah. a perfect hype man in a band. Just running around and be like, let's go. I like the idea. And Seth would be perfect at a yeah. moment's notice uh, <laughs> to be a hype man. So, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the podcast. Hello. Uh, we're delighted to be with you today. Thanks for tuning in. Uh, Tim, anything on your mind? Anything troubling you these days? Oh, I have a whole truckload. Tim's <laughs> troubled truckload times. Like, what's, what's one? The point? But well, I don't know. Lamenting together, I guess. Yeah, I I'm at a point where I think we've had this conversation. Anytime I lament about the church, we get pushed back. Where it's like, hey, look, guys, not every church is that way, and why do you care so much? And uh, the church is going to burn itself out anyway. And I'm like, yeah, the church probably will burn itself out anyway, but it's going to burn thousands of people with it. And that bothers me. And this has just been a time period of like, whether it's these freaking COVID backflips that people are doing or the way that uh, the church, at least publicly, has been talking about Afghanistan and those kind of things. And yeah, it's just, I'm just tired. I'm tired. <laughs> Tim's troubled, tired, and truckload times. Yep. Yeah. It's a lot of alliteration. Yes, but we're English majors and teachers, so <laughs> that's what we do. Yeah, no kidding, man. I mean, just watching Afghanistan, you're, you're just on top of everything. You're just sitting here going, this is horrific. This is just utterly, utterly horrific. It Regardless really is. of your politics, I mean, who cares? I'm so tired of your politics. Um, yeah, you know what, though? In the show notes, I'll put a couple of links to things because we have, it turns out Sacramento is a pretty major hub for Afghan refugees. Really? And um, uh, my brother in law's, my brother in law's mother in law. That's what I'm talking about. <laughs> she uh, works with World Relief for a long time and is doing a lot of great work, and they're trying to help, um, you know, these there's certain kits of things that they need as they yeah. come over and so there's a lot of ways that we can be practically involved and uh if no one's following dl mayfield who we've had on she lives in refugee communities and is doing a ton and is helping to yeah is helping with individual families so that when you give money or you give need or things to specific needs she's a great resource for helping to get things plugged in or just having like she's tapped into the conversation so she's having and it's like there's no politics involved it's trying to help 
how do you like intentionally right. really intentionally help out or meet the need that's going on because it's i cannot imagine how terrified people are over there oh especially the women waking up that morning no. knowing that that was happening like i can't we have no frame of reference on the terror nope not even remotely nope and how motivated we would be to get our daughters out if that was oh, their god yeah you know choice we'd do anything yeah anything so oh my goodness it is yeah it is absolutely horrifying um so yes there's much to be troubled over including yep. the bible timothy <laughs> <laughs> this it's is just, true it's like the church it just doesn't leave us alone always always provoking always asking always prodding um I have it's provoking uh, a ton of great questions from people. It's yes. Been oh my really goodness. I know. I know. I'm going to try to get through the prepared the material. Yes. And, <laughs> and then start dealing with questions. All right. Um, Cause this is going to stretch. <laughs> I mean, it's like the, you know, it just, it's going to stretch. So uh, Seth Erie is home uh, with me and hence the heavy breathing over my shoulder as he lays his head on my shoulder and pats me, which I love. Uh, but he promised to kind of be quiet today uh, to get Chick-fil-A. So that's how parenting works. Um, Seth Erie was exposed to someone. So Tennessee is a mess. Tennessee um, is a mess. Tennessee, you just don't even know. So he, he goes to school. He's there two days. He gets exposed to someone in co with COVID and has to stay out of... He's quarantined 10 days. He goes back... Um, then uh, this Monday, and on Wednesday, we get a call that says, nope, he was exposed again and has to miss school another um, 10 days, however many school days that is. I think it's like six or seven days. And for, for sweet uh, students like Seth, you know, we don't do distance learning. And um, so it's literally just a, a massive punishment for the sake of someone else's freedom yeah. um, to... Uh, to not care about masks or vaccines or anything. So, so he gets punished by that. So that's been fun. But that's why he will, um, I'm sure, <laughs> be a presence in the next 45 minutes or so. He's just smiling and looking cute right now and staring at Tim Stafford's beard. I know, I love it. Um, Seth often talks about him shaving off Seth's beard. And um, yeah, so every now and again we do that, don't we? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, oh, I, I also want to say thank you. We, we are, just as a reminder, a nonprofit crowdfunded podcast. Um, and we're funded by people like Melody and Steve and Rebecca, who um, joined our team on Patreon this week. Um, and again, we... You know, we're, we're not huge fans of talking or asking um, for money or anything like that, but it is an absolute, um, I don't know, blessing, help, support uh, to be able to handle all the expenses associated with this and do this for, for you know, give it away for free. And so thank you. Give it you. away, give it away, give it away now. Yep. Um, all right. So let's just dive into it to see how far we can get Yeah. Um, before, you know. Seth, Armageddon. yesterday, yesterday he put Arlo in the toilet, which was not a very. Oh yeah, yeah, I did. I know, and Daddy, Daddy was a little frustrated by that. We're not, Daddy's not going to lie. All right, so, so here's what we're trying to do. 
the biggest thing to understand about the um the bible is that it is a product of divine and human agency together and this fits of course with the very earliest inclinations we get of how god's going to relate to humanity in genesis 1 and 2 when he creates them as image bearers with authority agency morals decision making and real power in the world and so he you know the the human names the animals and that we get our first glimpse into and god's going to watch what the, the human named them Right, and so there's as the text comes to us, it comes to us as this partnership. He is now tickling my feet. Um, so this is great. Next, so so on both sides of that, uh, you have on the divine side issues like um, authority and inspiration and inerrancy. That Those we've, fun words we, we've got to deal with. Yep, and then on the human side. We have words like accommodation and genre and context and literary analysis. So we're, we're going to do the human side of this first, then the divine side, and then we'll start into some questions. So on the human side, we introduced a concept last week called uh, accommodation. And that word just means adapting or adjusting to something. Um, and um, just we want to be mindful of the fact that because we believe this is a human uh, and divine um, word together, that that the the humanness of the word doesn't cancel out the divineness, and the divineness doesn't cancel out the humanness. Right in the same way that Jesus, you know, carries in himself a fully human and fully divine. That's the analogy. Uh, under which we approach the scriptures. It is absolutely human and leaves a trail of humanity in its wake. Yeah. Um, but, and here's the big point, the, the, the finding the divine or the God inspiration in the text isn't around the humanity, it's in it and through it. Hmm. And, uh, and, and this is how God works, obviously, all throughout the scriptures, right? He's not off doing something else He's in the middle of messy human life, and that's where you find him. So you find him in the text in its humanity. Yeah, Um, that's interesting. Yeah, you're not, you don't, you don't, the humanity isn't something you have to get over in order to find the inspiration. The inspiration's right there in the midst of it. Hmm. And and we're going to flesh out kind of what that means, because that turns out to be a pretty major point. Now, one of the ways we encounter the divine part of this in the humanity of it is the way that the the text accommodates itself to what is happening in the world around it so last week we just began talking about how the fact that god lets people tell the story through their culturally conditioned worldview right so there are ancient literary um twitter feeds is what mackie calls them um that were just tropes and paradigms and symbols and types that were ancient used. Ancient memes. Yeah, ancient memes. Exactly right. And often what's happening in the Old Testament, uh, particularly in the early chapters of Genesis, is that the Israelites are riffing on those. Yeah. They're subverting them, they're pushing them forward, and they're showing how they actually lead um, to the one true God of Israel. Uh, one of the ways that we see. Um, God interact with the human parts of the text is the way in which the human text accommodates itself or the the text accommodates itself to the world views of the authors yeah. right God allows uh, people to tell the story through their culturally conditioned worldview 
And, um, and so you see that in the cosmology of Genesis 1, right? The earth rests on pillars. Those pillars are surrounded by uh, a huge uh, body of water that is circular. The water isn't H2O. The water is like the deep. It's primeval chaos. It is an mm. agent and an actor in this drama. The spirit comes and divides the waters between and, and creates a vault, a firmament, as we love to say, firmament. between the water above and the water below, and that there are floodgates um, or windows that are in the upper chambers of this firmament that allow rain to pass through. And, and that, of course, as we've talked about before, is uh, an accommodation to how they saw the world. And that doesn't yeah. negate anything that the text is telling you about what Yahweh is like or what Yahweh has done. Right. Right. In the same way, if I were going to describe Yahweh and say, man, in, you know, in, the, in the first instant, God created the Big Bang. Right. You know, and then the universe was expanding, and here's how we know it's expanding through quasars and quarks and whatever else, right? And then <laughs> 2,000 years later, we realize that all of that wasn't exactly the most accurate way to describe it. That yeah. doesn't cancel out the fact that the, to the best we knew, Yahweh was behind this. You know what I mean? And yeah, so, it's such an interesting thing that people, that's such a struggle point, like uh, divorcing your current believe like think about when we all thought that the sun revolved around the earth that the earth was the center it would yeah. be almost heretical to to push back on that idea and challenge the powers that be or the minds of the time it's interesting that we have such a hard time with that in every era of letting go enough to be like well perhaps there's more yes yes exactly and, and that's the conceit we have to war against when we approach the ancient text, that somehow yeah. we're in such an advanced point of view that nothing will ever show us wrong. Yeah, we're, we've arrived at the end of the road. Right, exactly. And you're wondering, well, if human history goes another 2,000 years, can you stinking imagine? No. Um, I mean, it's just unfathomable, but that wouldn't negate... Um, the conversations that we're having, or if I were making a record of what I, what I, what God is revealing about His creative activity, of course I would use categories that describe reality to me. Totally, that doesn't mean those categories are false, right? Within yeah. the context, this was the ancient Twitter feed. Yeah. So, so God isn't working around the humans. He's not working in spite of the humans, right? He's working in the midst of it. And I love this. I mean, this is, this is why last episode we just talked about, you know, a God who gets God's hands dirty. Yeah. Uh, there isn't this divorce between the divine tablets and then the messy scribes that copied them down, right? It was, yeah. no, no, it was messy the whole time. Yeah. Exactly. And, and, and it's messy from the very beginning of the story. So the mess is built into the narrative that God tells about that's such God's huge, self. That's such a huge piece. Totally. So, um, you know, in, in so many different ways that, that, that we see the cultural conditioning come through and that's normal and because it's human that's totally how it should be we yeah. if if we were inspired to record the actions of god in the world today right i mean we only have so many categories to use and then if those <laughs> categories are shown not to be quite accurate down the road that yeah. doesn't negate what we'd originally written um so so you know, I mean, and like we said last episode, I mean, there are loads, and one of the great gifts of like the ancient Near Eastern um, 
stuff that has been discovered has been, oh, there are law codes and there are sacrificial systems and temples and kings and treaties and that all fit some of the literary forms we find in the Old Testament. Totally. Great. That shouldn't shock us, surprise us, dismay us, even remotely. This is how God works. Yeah. God, God works with people where they're at, as they are at, and, um, and does this incredible thing where at the same time, he is sitting with where they are, he's inviting them forward. Um, and, and we're gonna look at very specific examples of that in just a second. So we want to contrast um, so, so in one sense, God accommodates to the ancient worldview. To an, in another sense, he accommodates to the failure of humans over and over and over again. Mm. Um, and obviously, I mean, we see this in Genesis 3, right? The, 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 the human sin, and immediately God uh, covers them with animal skins. Yeah. Um, and for their own good, removes them from the garden. And then we see him accommodating again after the flood. And this, this episode is so critically important for the the nature of everything that comes after that i mean the flood isn't a kid's story obviously and it's not a genocide story right this was a local flood that took care of a specific problem um god's heart was grieved over something that was happening we've covered this before um and uh and what god did in rescuing this this righteous family is a picture of what he's going to do all the way through the story but what you There's realize at least one person listening right now that was just like wait what <laughs> there's at least and and the thing that's the thing that it's so powerful is that instantly after um you know noah and his family uh, go on to dry land the genesis 1 genesis 2 covenant is reestablished with the promise that god will never exercise that kind of judgment over fallen humanity again yeah so what God has done in Genesis um, 9 is commit himself to the suboptimal conditions of human beings as he finds them. And that's why there's this riff after Noah. Noah has too much wine. His, one of his sons comes and uh, does something sexually inappropriate. And there's loads of guesses as to exactly what that is, but it was shameful. And so Canaan is one of the... Um, one of the sons of Ham, I believe it is. Is it Ham that does that? I don't remember. Or Shem. Um, or another one. I'm, I don't remember. But one of the sons of those original three is uh, Canaan, who obviously is in the land of Canaan and becomes a, you know, the founder of the Canaanites and this ancient tribe. So you have a bit of retro conning like, hey, this is how the Canaanites got here and they're awful people. But you also have, you also have the realization that even though this flood has happened and this family was righteous, their humanity still flawed. The, the problem hasn't been solved. Right. And so you have the commitment of God to now work with humanity as he finds them. Um, and, and that turns out to be a really big deal. So let's look at some examples of God working with humanity as he finds them, all right? So we're gonna, like keep, we're gonna keep talking about the real versus the ideal, right? The ideal is, is what God seemed to intend in right. the creational accounts. The real is what he finds happening, and then the accommodation is how he accommodates the ideal to the real. Make sense? Yeah. All right, this is fascinating. And, and some of these are, you know, 
these are not like hidden gems. These are very obvious. Uh, polygamy being the most obvious example of the contrast on page two um, of the Lord made the man, uh, made the woman, excuse me, from the rib he'd taken or the side he'd taken out of the man and brought her to the man. The man said, this is now bone of my bones, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. This is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife, and they will become one flesh. The ideal, of course, is that they're, in their sexuality, they are reunited. They, they were, the, the man initially was undifferentiated. So he wasn't the man, he was the human. Mm-hmm. And then he sexually differentiated into male and female. Sex then, and the, the marriage idea in Genesis 1 is the reunification of the male and female into the, the full image of God. All right? So that's kind of the theology behind it. And, and you know, it doesn't take a lot of imagination to realize, oh, this was only supposed to happen once. Um, but by Genesis 4, you know, page 4, we have Lamech married two women <laughs> one named ada ada and the other zilla okay and so um and you're like oh okay and lamech turns out to to not be a great guy even remotely but the bible doesn't condemn him the text the narrative doesn't say he married two women and was bad because of it but it just sort of lets you draw your own conclusions because lamech turns out to not be so great Hmm. Um, then you have Abraham, of course, multiple wives, um, and then that gets him into trouble, uh, right? With with um, he, and and I don't know if if uh, how many wives exactly, but you know he has this uh, this um, concubine, I guess, um, that gets put forward a female slave. He gets put forward, and because Sarah is so old, hey, um, maybe Hagar. You know, right. should be the one to carry the promised child from God uh, in Genesis 12, and um, and that goes sideways. So you don't need to be told or Solomon, you know, crazy amount of wives. David, but the narrative doesn't say hey they were bad because of this, but it kind of shows you how this isn't the wisest thing to do. So in, you know, in Genesis two, we have this picture of one man, one woman, one flesh. And then in Genesis 4, oh, we have multiple wives. And then multiple wives exist. You would think the Bible is totally pro-polygamy because almost all (laughs) the great heroes have multiple wives, right? So the accommodation comes later in the book of Exodus where there's, um, we're talking about um, slaves and slave rights, all right? And in that, that boy, that's a huge accommodation right there that we could have a conversation about. But he's talking about a servant, and, he, and the text says, if the servant marries another woman, he must not deprive the first one of her food, clothing, and marital rights. If he does not provide her with these three things, she is to go free without any payment of money. So what's the accommodation? Well, if you're going to have multiple wives, if you marry yeah. a second one, don't deprive the first one. Right. Right. So the ideal, um, at least if we take Genesis as kind of it tells its own story, is some sort of one fleshness. Yeah. Um, The real is nope. (laughs) Right. We've got multiple wives all over the place. And then the accommodation is well, if you're going to marry more than one, take care of the first one. Yeah. Right. (laughs) You see a similar thing with divorce. Yeah. 
right? Um, the, the man and woman are one flesh, and there's no indication that one fleshness dissipates if they're tired of each other or something. Right. And so um, uh, that's the ideal. The real is that they were divorcing, and so an accommodation comes in Deuteronomy when Moses says, listen, if you... Um, uh, well, I mean, I'll read it. It's it's cumbersome, but it's if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him, and that we did a divorce episode, like talking about that text. Yeah, I don't know, hundred or so episodes ago. It's a while ago. It's really important to understand what's being said there and what's not being said there. We won't go into it now, but the the point of the text was if uh, she becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, and that's that was the big debate in Jesus' day and writes her a certificate of divorce, gives it to her and sends her from her house. And after she leaves his house and becomes the wife of another man, and the second husband dislikes her and writes a certificate of divorce, and then it presents this sort of hypothetical. Um, But the idea is that you were permitted to divorce uh, as long as you wrote a certificate of divorce that that maintained that the woman then had standing um, and was not somebody who, um, she she was permitted to remarry. If she yeah. had a certificate of divorce. So, so Jesus in Matthew 19 gets brought into this conversation about what do you mean something indecent? And, and one school of uh, Pharisees taught that something indecent could mean anything, anything that you find indecent. There was another school of thought that said, no, no, it's only sexual infidelity. That is the indecent bit. And Jesus gets invited to take a side on that. And so some, uh, in Matthew 19, some Pharisees came to Jesus to test him. They said, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any and every reason? And that was the liberal school um, who, who held to that. They took the Deuteronomy 24 passage to mean anything. And then Jesus replies, haven't you read that at the beginning, so here's the ideal, right? He quotes, they're, they're, they're quoting to him the real, Hey, right. well, we're divorcing. What do you think about this? Yeah. He points them to the ideal that at the beginning, the creator made them male and female. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife. The two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no one separate. Right. So what's he do? Uh, he points them to the ideal when they bring up the real. And then they, they respond with, well, why did Moses command that, his, that, that um, a man give his wife a certificate of, of divorce, right? And they're trying to say, well, look, like, oh, here's the ideal from the Bible, right? So they quote the Bible at Jesus. So Jesus, they bring up this situation that's happening in their culture. Jesus points them back to the ideal. Yeah. Yeah, but doesn't the Bible say, right? And they point to the accommodation, yeah. right? To counter Jesus. And then Jesus, oh, I love this. He says, Moses permitted you to divorce. He didn't command. He permitted to divorce your wife because your hearts were hard. But it it was not this way from the beginning. Yeah. All right? I tell you, anyone that divorces his wife except for sexual morality and marries another woman commits adultery. So he holds the conservative view of the two rabbinical schools. And of course, we've talked about this. You can go uh, listen to that episode if you'd like. The point, though, is this is this is absolutely fascinating, and it reflects on the uh, accommodation. So, what's the ideal? The ideal is 
what God has joined, let no one separate. Yeah. The real is that they're separating. Yeah. And they point to Moses's permission as proof. Well, that God knew. So look, why we, where were we commanded then? Right here's the and they quote the Bible back at Jesus and I love this, and Jesus says, "Well, actually, that's like, in there. Always works so well. That's in there because your hearts were hard, mm-hmm. but that wasn't God's intention for the beginning. So think about what's just happened here. Jesus said that the Torah that He upholds, that is the God-inspired Yahweh-pointing covenant record, right? This beautiful, majestic piece." of jewish life that where where they were quoting it from was a concession to human heart that was Mm -hmm. not god's ideal will yeah which which has the powerful implication of saying what you're reading in the old testament isn't the ideal not once now now then the ideal gets buried in the real so for instance alongside right you you have all sorts of horrible texts about divine violence and so should it surprise us that um when uh, a, the nation of israel wins a battle um they give god credit no it shouldn't surprise us because that's what they did that that was how you saw this battles right. were never battles they were they were they were wars between the gods of of the different nations it shouldn't surprise us that after winning you would wipe out everybody who could stand against you in the future yeah right shouldn't surprise you that's what that's what you did back in those days um and that they would give god credit for the victory that's what they did back in those days um it shouldn't be surprising that they had language and used language and and war language that was very similar to war language uh, that was hyperbolic in nature from other a- ancient Near Eastern cultures. So it's not shocking that the Bible's full of real, and the Bible doesn't endorse what it describes, right? So God, after Genesis 9, is in triage mode. He's yeah. dealing with suboptimal conditions. So if you're reading the Torah and you're saying, oh, this is God's ideal will for human beings, that's not true. This is God working in human beings. And if you study the law, the giving of the law closely, it actually multiplies as the Israelites fail. So there is a book by John Salehammer called The Pentateuch as Narrative. And one of the most mind-blowing things he shows is that, like, for instance, um, all of Israel was supposed to approach the mountain uh, at Sinai, and they were too afraid. So, so then, so, so law was given, and then in response to them not coming, another set of laws were given. And then, like, there, there's, a, there's when, when all Israel was to be a nation of priests, um, but failed the golden calf, and the Levites came forward, and then he gives, now he gives law about the Levites, because something bad just happened, and he's constantly triaging. Yeah. the situation the law doesn't come down as one big chunk it's given over time and it actually evolves there are some places where an earlier version of a law um, and a later version of a law are slightly different because of different contexts so what we're dealing with in the old testament is not god's ideal will for human beings right it's his ideal will in the midst of the real it's the best we can do if you're gonna marry another wife then make sure you take care of the first one 
Right. If you're going to get a divorce, make sure that she has a written certificate to show, right, that she's not an immoral woman, but you have put her away. Right? I mean, this, like, and the, and the Bible is full of this. And this is where we get so hung up on, oh, the Bible is so barbaric. Mm-hmm. Right, and right. you're like, no, this is this is what this is what accommodation, and this is what um, this is what God dealing with the real looks like, and so so again, I mean, and this is what Jesus is saying in this text, which is mind blowing, that in the middle of the real, God gives a hint as to the ideal, right, um. But, but he doesn't fully just condemn the real. He accommodates himself to it. And to, to me, this, this, is, this is just unbelievably important. So with, like when you get to the monarchy, right? The text is clear. God wanted to be king over Israel. That was the point. Israel was Yahweh's unique possession. And this was different, right? Because all the other gods, all the other nations had their lower G gods, like we talked about several, many episodes ago. But Israel was Yahweh's possession, the highest of all the Elohim. Yahweh was going to guide Israel to be a light to the nations. And what happened instead is they uh, they fall prey to all of the things plaguing their neighbors, yeah. right? The powers and principalities are corrupted as well. And so there's this whole thing that's corrupted. And Yahweh is continually inviting his people uh, to reclaim their status as his, as, as his beloved, right? And so the law is given in chunks as we go throughout the story. Now, some of that gets codified right, in a large chunk like in Leviticus. But when you read Numbers or Exodus, you're seeing bits and pieces of law that are given as circumstances change. There's a difference between before the golden calf and after. Is Moses just jumping on a Zoom call every time to be like, hey, all right. Well, it looks like he goes up to the mountain a couple of different times. And just is and is just receiving instruction that he turns around and is like, all right, guys, like, <laughs> here's, yeah. here's yeah. addendum 9, 10, and 11. Yeah, here, here we were operating on this understanding. Oh, and then that totally is screwed up. And so now we have to come it's to like, a new all right, thing. BRB. Yeah, it's parenting. <laughs> I mean, this is constantly what you're, what you're doing um, as a parent is you're accommodating. Because there's the ideal, right? I want my kids to be X, Y, and Z. Um, the problem is they see that I'm not X, Y, and Z. And so they're, they're totally, and, and because of their own unique stories, history, fallenness, whatever, right? They're never going to be X, Y, and Z. Right. And so, so we're constantly accommodating to how they are, but we're doing it in ways that call them forward towards maturity. Yeah. And so you have in polygamy and divorce, you have these sorts of, um, what we're dealing with when we look at the Old Testament, and this was something Mackie said years ago that just reframed everything. And it's from, I think it's from John Walton. Um, but that what you're dealing with in the law isn't God's ideal for humanity. It's what we're dealing with in the midst of fallen humanity. Yeah. So it's not surprising that you have boasting about wars and conquests and genocide and whatever, but it is surprising that you have a, a concept like Jubilee, right? where every 50 years you totally redistribute wealth back to original owners. Or you have Sabbath. That's unique. 
or a Sabbath of Sabbaths every seven years. That's unique. Or not harvesting your full crop and leaving some on the edges. Yeah. Or taking care of refugees and orphans and widows. Right. So buried in the midst of the real that is so offensive to us are bits and pieces of the ideal. Well, there are poor people, so take care of them. Yeah. In his ideal world, there's no one poor, right? In Genesis 1 and 2, it is a world of complete abundance, no greed, right? No selfishness. Yeah. But now that we've got power and imbalance and inequity, okay, now we're going to glimpse the real. We're going to try to restore shalom in the midst of this fallenness. And here's what you do. Okay, you want a king? God will say, right? You want a king? I'll accommodate your to your desire to be a king. But here's what the king's going to do to you right and then he gives laws regarding the king yeah and so it's just this constant back and forth but we get so upset when we read the old testament as if what we're reading is a record of how god wanted it right and And we use it that way still i mean it's yeah not only are we in a dramatically different place or that our twitter feed is in a dramatically different place or whatever but and but we are still taking i don't know it's it's frustrating I, this makes sense and then it obviously shows how much discernment and like intentionality it takes to look at something and say okay let's look at exactly because i think butler or maybe it was Mackie was talking about like just because something's in the bible often it's somebody commenting on how it was wrong it, it's not in there and therefore a justifiable it's in there as a negative example exactly so, but this is what not we use to them do. all is like it's here. So therefore, so it's God's word exactly. So this is this is what God wanted. He right. wanted genocide. Right. That's His will for human beings. God wanted polygamy and adultery and betrayal. That was His. I mean, and you're like, no, His will is Genesis one and two, and then just to push this even further. Now, again, I'm oversimplifying some things. No question, there are going to be people like, hey, hey, what about what about? I got it. I know, I know, but I'm oversimplifying the real and ideal and the relationship between the two because I I do want to make the bigger point Totally, that when we read the Old Testament and we read it flat, um, we're just saying, well, it's God's word. So in God's word, it says it's okay to blank. Yep. And we're not appreciating the accommodation. So, I mean, literally, you could simply say like the Pharisees. Well, in God's word, it says, as long as I give her a certificate of divorce, I'm justified in divorcing for any reason. It's the text says that. But when Jesus says, no, that's because of hardness of heart. Right. But do you see what he's just done in the Torah? Right. He's, He's portrayed himself as the arbiter. And that's what rabbis did. But rabbis in Jesus's day didn't do it the way Jesus did. Rabbis would quote other rabbis, from what I understand. Jesus would just give his opinion. (laughs) You know, and then as we looked at in the Sermon on the Mount, what's Jesus do? He quotes sometimes the text from the Hebrew scriptures and then says, here's what it means. Right. And he calls that fulfilling it, not abolishing it. Right. And so what Jesus does. Those would be great words to look at too. To add on to the list of inerrancy and um, everything else. Yes. Because what yes. is that? What is, in this three-dimensional sense of the text, fulfilling and abolishing are those become three-dimensional yep. terms as well. Well, and they become three-dimensional in Jesus. Yeah. So what so where I'm trying to truck with this is um that Jesus is the ideal. 
So, so in the in in the midst of the real and the mess, here comes Jesus as the ideal human. Yeah, this is what it looks like to be fully human in God's world, and there's no fallenness attached to Him. So all of the corruption, right? Though it's there, and He has the possibility of really experiencing it. Yeah, He does not. And, and comes then revealing what God's will looks like in heaven as it would be on earth, or on earth, excuse me, as it is in heaven. <laughs> and so, so Jesus will look at the violence of the Old, T, uh, of the Old Testament, the OT, the OT. and, and he, will, he will go to the cross absorbing it, not retaliating, not condemning, but forgiving those who are perpetuating the violence against him. He'll look at the people groups of the Old Testament the people groups that were Israel's national and forever enemies. And he'll like the Samaritans or like the, uh, the people of Tyre and Sidon, that those two cities have such an old Testament background. And when he looks at Capernaum, his hometown, a righteous place and says, it will be more bearable for Tyre and Sidon on the day of judgment than for you. I mean, it's like, come on. Uh, and then he meets someone from Sidon and heals them. I mean, it's it, you're just like, oh. And then all of the distinctions between clean and unclean, and then here comes Jesus uh, touching the unclean and not being infected, right? What we have in the Old Testament isn't the ideal. So Jesus, of course, comes. and but But in the Old Testament, there are hints of the ideal in the middle of the real, right? And so you're seeing all of these mechanisms for how can unclean people become clean, Yeah. right? The call to love enemy and, and to love neighbor, right? You see all of this, you, the stories of like uh, in judges of the continued deliverance of the Israelites or Ruth, here's this Moabitess and there's a, man, there's a massive backstory to that or Esther, right? They're in there exactly because they're telling you the ideal is still here. Yeah. God is still moving human persons to the ideal in the midst of even Israel's real and corruption, right? Over and over and over. And it's his inexhaustible patience that then gets <laughs> manifested into Jesus, who isn't contradicting a darn thing, but he's in three dimensions showing yeah. what that Old Testament was pointing to. Yeah. And he, um, he comes then as the focal the lens and that's where we say you know we don't we don't hold the accommodation to jesus with the same authority as we hold jesus right that's why jesus is like hey you know his appeal to genesis 1 and 2 has huge weight because it's to genesis 1 and 2 it's not to another part of the torah although he does appeal to other parts of torah and disputes but um you know he is he is what God would intend human beings to look like in God's good world. And so Jesus comes as the ideal, and it's fascinating to see him encounter the real and, ha and how he adapts Torah or fulfills it, right, in his person. Yeah. So, you know, you have these statements of, well, you know, you've heard it said, but I tell you. Right. I mean, this is what he's doing. He's not right. contradicting the Old Testament, but he's saying that was accommodation. Let me show you the ideal, right? Yep. Yep. The accommodation was eye for an eye. That right. was the accommodation. That's not God's desire. That was never his, his will for human beings to just limit revenge, right? Right. But that was an accommodation. And then Jesus comes and says, that's never what he intended. Right.
Right. He and does not it with putting divorce. an end to the accommodation, but right. bringing the three-dimensional aspects so you can take that flat, linear right. view of the Old Testament, prop it up and be like, no, like right. you guys have been looking at this incorrectly. Here's how. Not and abolishing Paul, it, but fulfilling what the, the real is within the, yes. or the ideal within the real. And so Paul does this all over his epistles with household codes that we find barbaric or whatever, but he's accommodating to the real yeah. of Roman culture and planting the seeds of the ideal. He does it with slavery. I mean, when he says um, to Philemon, welcome this slave that ran away from you, welcome him as a brother. Yeah. He doesn't abolish slavery, but he totally redefines what it is to be a master. You know, or when he calls churches to become households of God where everybody relates to each other as siblings, right? I mean, like he's not doing away with the Roman course of honor or the Roman focus on status, but what he is doing is he's saying in the midst of this, create space for new creation. Hmm right and those dynamics and so so you have like leaven or like a little bit of seed right you have the introduction of ideal and the pulling forward of real all over the place yeah and so it's not surprising that we would sit and look back at some of the accommodation and go that's gross <laughs> right and the, but the trouble is that we think well that was god approved right now that doesn't settle whether or not God actually commanded the Israelites, you know, to commit genocide. Right. Um, it doesn't. It doesn't. It doesn't deal with with you know some very problematic episodes in the Old Testament where like, well, it seems like God did want that to happen. Yeah. And so you have you know you have different proposals about how to handle those texts. You know, Boyd will say, well, those could be true texts, but they're surpassed by the revelation of Jesus. And so uh, Yahweh was allowing himself to wear a mask to be perceived as ugly because that's how they perceived their gods huh. in those days. <laughs> um, because in the same way that Jesus allowed himself to be perceived as a criminal, but wasn't one on the cross. Yeah. Uh, or ends would say, perhaps, um, hey, this was, what the, this was the, a record of the Israelites' experiences this isn't revelatory necessarily. This is just what they were experiencing. And because divine war was a theme and a motif, this is how they experienced God. Yeah. This isn't God saying these things about God. This is them saying these things and attributing it to God, which other peoples did. I'm more along the lines of, I always, whenever I come to the text, I assume there's part of the Twitter feed I'm missing. There's something, because I've just seen this happen in too many other places where you'll look at something and go, what in the world is happening? And then you'll find out years later, some piece of background that, oh, oh, <laughs> that totally makes sense. Um, but I would never have known it just on its face. So I just sort of suspend my being offended at some parts of the Bible uh, because as I've grown in understanding, um, context and I'm I'm so you know just such a neophyte in it, but I I've realized oh there are things that on the face of it in our just English Bibles reading it flatly that look awful, but then you you realize oh there there are things going on in the background that turn out to be really progressive and beautiful. Yeah, and I don't mean progressive in like the liberal sense. I just mean right. like like pulling human beings forward, 
like hey let's 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 leave some of the, uh, the 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 crop at the edge of our field right let's let's do that let's take every 50 years let's go nuts right now we don't have a record of israel ever doing that maybe they did yeah um but you know you get a glimpse of the ideal in the midst of the real right and so the sifting and sorting of okay well what did god really want um for human beings uh versus what he was accommodating to that's a fascinating that's a fascinating interpretive question and that's when you get into genre and all kinds of things and and we we can't leave jesus out because jesus just says hey the law and the prophets testified to me um so so you've got you know a lot of peeling to do and there are all sorts of tools we use to do it but i just want to introduce the idea of accommodation right that at different parts in the story god is reacting differently to what's happening and that is okay there's nothing threatening about that that doesn't at all impinge on whether or not the bible's inspired uh or not in 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 fact as we've you know suggested before the mess is part of the beauty right so so and again other people would cash this out different ways and loads of people would disagree fine i'm oversimplifying um some concepts because i do think they are accurately describing a lot of what's going on yeah you have to oversimplify it to allow like to open the door to the conversation yeah yes 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 yes. i can just hear all these questions in my head from people that are like like how how is this the best way to do this like this is this feels real messy this feels real like how could this god that creates the universe how is this the best version of reality or creation or whatever you know it's just like we I don't know. It's just such a mess. And there's so much to parse through. And it's like, what does inerrancy even mean if it with, within genre? Right. Because just on a flat surface, inerrancy means different things to different genres of literature. Yep. And so right totally. off the bat, you're already in like a, you're already in the mud. How can a poem be inerrant? Exactly. And then how can like, how can a historical account or a historical accommodated account be inerrant and you totally know what I mean? so it's like it's just yeah. so three-dimensional yeah. it doesn't really do it justice <laughs> no like, it, it yeah and it turns out to to my thinking to be the wrong categories right. inerrant just isn't a helpful category exactly it 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 it, it it's it well it's, it just doesn't make sense no it's the wrong question yeah but i've had people try to defend like there is a firmament and there is water up there and um there are windows right and so you know you're like okay well and maybe <laughs> but the best we know i don't know i mean the voyagers showing us more and more out there that oh it seems so to not be the case <laughs> all right so i want to close this episode with a story and then a blessing by seth Erie. um this is from greg boyd all right and and boyd We've had him on the show years ago. Um, And I really, I mean, I don't, again, it's so dumb you have to give this disclaimer. There are things of his I don't buy, but he's done some of the most creative work around the idea of accommodation um, that, that the heavyweights 
in the field or having to, you know, reckon with some of what he's coming up with. Yeah. And so he tells a story and I heard this story. I don't know if it was from a sermon or a podcast or something. He told it. He verbally told the story. And the story was written to him from somebody in his church, I think. Okay, so it's a very, it's loose. So uh, this is this is not an errant. This is not a, an errant retelling of the story. But I went and I transcribed him verbally telling this story. So I'm reproducing what he said yeah. without any judgment on how well he reproduced what they said. Right. It's, All not, right. it's not quite a game of telephone. You 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 were uh, intentional with your. Yes, I could close one gap, and that gap was I transcribed this. Um, so he so I'm going to tell the story as if I were him. All right, so I'm just going to step into the story, move and move that gap away. So, uh, Greg heard from a couple that works in foster care ministry. All right, so they're saying this is a true story. Uh, it's a long-term care facility because they only take children who have been removed fr uh, from their homes because of abuse. And at one point, there was a 10-year-old girl, we'll call her Susie, who um, was uh, you know, in inducted into the facility. And the first morning after she had stayed there, um, one of the workers came into her room to find that she had smeared um, feces all over the wall. Have you heard this story? Yeah. Have I told this story? Um, I don't know, but I've heard okay. it. Okay. But go on. Oh, okay. Um, a lot of people, of course, would have scolded her and you know just shamed her, but they kind of have this philosophy of accommodation. Yeah. Right, you sort of meet them where they're at, and you have to get inside somebody's shoes yeah. to kind of understand why they're they're doing that for a reason. Yes, son. Um, the Seth Erie appear. Yeah, Seth Erie right there. I'm glad you've never done this. Peace, peace. Hold on, let me finish the story, okay? Okay. So she did this uh, all over the wall of her room, um, but the the caregivers, you know, try to look on the inside of her life to understand like why she's doing this for some reason. So they didn't scold her. Um, because they believed they would gradually uncover a reason for this behavior. So they sat down with her and said, listen, we don't know why you're doing this, but if you feel the need to do this, can you limit it to this section over here? Um, and we'll come in every morning and clean it up for you. So the yeah. first step was that they would just, they would, they didn't scold her. Secondly, that they would clean it up. Mm -hmm. Um, and every morning, so they put on latex gloves, they, and that's what they did every mm -hmm. single morning. In time, they learned why she was doing this. And it was because at, uh, at the age of four, she began to be visited um, by her father in the middle of the night who would abuse her in the worst ways imaginable. And one time, um, she, as she was being abused, um, she had an accident. And um, the smell of that grossed out her father and her father left the room and um and so ingeniously right as kids do she realized this yeah. is the way to protect myself so every night she would smear it on her walls and to us that is the grossest thing in the history of the world but to her it was the smell of safety and security yeah right 
And so, um, yep. And so when the team found out about this, um, they said uh, to this little girl, uh, that was so smart that you did that. Mm -hmm. And we actually want to help you feel safe in this yeah. place. Yeah, yeah, thank you. So, Sethi, wait a second. So as long as you feel like you need to do this, we're going to love you. And they would help her yeah. do this. Not just, not scold her, not just clean it up, but they would help her do this. Um, until she was safe and secure enough to fall asleep without needing to have that. Yeah. Now, Boyd then comes into this and says, now think about for a second, if you were on a tour of the long-term care facility one morning and what you saw was people smearing feces all over the wall with a little girl next to them. Right. You would think that was horrific and that was abusive. Yeah. Right? I mean, you would, you would render a total and absolute judge, a, a terrible judgment yeah. against these people. If you didn't know anything about them or anything about the girl or anything about anything, you would just look at that and say that is absolutely barbaric and revolting. But it's only when you know the true character of the people that were loving her that you see that it was an act of love totally. and devotion and sacrifice. And, um, and instead of being horrible, this was actually something that was magnificent right. in its kindness and compassion. And um, and Boyd Boyd is saying, yeah, that's kind of what's going on with a lot of the Bible is you have God joining us in all of the crap that we feel makes us secure and safe, and um, and but but meeting us along the way so that so that until we're safe enough to believe there's a way of doing it differently. Yeah, and and. And this is where parenting is such a beautiful picture because this is how good parents do it, right? We mm -hmm. join yeah. out of love in our, ki in our kids' real. We don't judge their real. We don't tell them they should feel differently or, Sometimes oh, you shouldn't be anxious. Well, yeah, we're all <laughs> tempted to do that. You know, oh, that's silly, you know, yeah. and, and all of that's great shaming behavior. But what we do is we enter in and we join them in what it is that helps make them feel safe. Yeah, and it's that yeah. that long it's walking that long road with people. Like you like yes. shaming, confronting, yelling, uh, even just a lot of correcting in the moment doesn't offer what a human needs in the how we learn, how we grow, how we adapt, how we That's right. That's right. So imagine you're trying to mature the human race. <laughs> you know, I, and, and, and again, I totally get, man, people saying, well, but it's such a mess. We failed. Um, and I'm like, well, on one telling, yes. On one telling, no. It just really opens up that problem of evil conversation. And there's never yeah. an answer. That's a rabbit hole that always spins itself out. But Well, there's a... Um, so one of my focuses in grad school was, uh, was, was called the problem of divine hiddenness. Hmm. Why does God, if God is so obvious, why don't more people believe? Well, right. and the answer is, well, because God hides God's self. And then the question is, well, why would God do that? If, if you are punished with everlasting hell for not believing, mm -hmm. wouldn't God do everything to ensure your, your belief? Yeah, these are valid questions. This is a massive 
philosophical problem. So I, I got to spend one whole semester writing an <laughs> academic paper on yeah. that topic. I'm sorry, Tim Stafford. Why are you Why? sorry, honey? Yeah, the notes, the notes got messed up. It's okay. We're almost done, son. Are you ready to do your big outro? Yes. Okay, hold on. One of the biggest issues in that, um, that the philosophy of that problem is it's the iterative nature of it. In other words, at what degree of less hiddenness do you feel like that's enough? Like, can you, can you specify the degree of less hiddenness and more obviousness that would then qualify you know, for you to give up this objection. So, so like people say, well, yeah, but it's just so messy. And it's like, well, okay, but how much less messy, what percentage of less messiness then would qualify? Totally. And, um, and th now that doesn't answer it at all. It just simply says we're framing it in a way that can't be answered. Exactly. That's what I was just going to say. The question is skewed for what, and, it, mm. and, and in carrying everything from the new creation conversation into this too, with judgment and, um, wrath and but looking at those terms and salvation and salvific language and looking at all that stuff through the lens of this accommodation and three-dimensional nature of the whole story it for me it re requantifies or, or changes all that language like all the salvific yeah. language like I don't, I'm, I don't know what it actually, where it lands fully yet, but it definitely like changes the whole way I approach that entire thing in my head. Yeah. Yeah. It yep. broadens it and changes it. And I don't see the angry God. Yeah. It's definitely yep. still a tough bear to wrestle. Oh no, absolutely. And, and none of this resolves all the, all the issues. No, but it's helpful. Well, listen what the accommodation bit does is it tells you you can't read it flatly yeah here's one verse in this part that says something and here's another verse that says something else and boy isn't that a contradiction but it shows god being intentional with people and i think that, but that in the but that's the verse, whole story i know like but the I think whole the... story jonah people get hung up on whether or not there was a fish right that isn't the point of the story the point is that god in the old covenant was loving and pursuing the Ninevites who were part of the Assyrian Empire, right? right. I mean, yep. this was, and, and, and Israel hated Assyria. And, and the point was that Jonah was justified in him not wanting to go. Yeah. And I, oh. the, the flat reading takes Bam. all the intention Bam. out in a way. And so it's, it changes God's character for me um, in a great way because it shows that he is invested in this and right. and and, and right. with patience and with intention and not just like damn it you guys like yeah. seriously again it's yeah. been like well yeah. no okay this isn't you know i remember being in high school and always wrestling with like solomon was the wisest and he right. had a thousand concubines like right 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 should right we be doing right. that then is right. that <laughs> yeah on a flat yeah. reading yep Okay. So, so for those of you who are total nerds, please buy the buy the the Pentateuch as narrative by John Salehammer. It is I'll put a link to it. Mind blowing when it and and it, and it and it's so um, it, he shows 
how thoughtfully the Torah was put together. Yeah. Um, and that our, our modern breaks of Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, that none of those are helpful. Yeah. That there is a, that there are narrative breaks, but they aren't there. Hmm. Um, they're really poetic. He calls them poetic seams. So there, there is poetry at really key points in the whole, uh, first five books of the Bible and narrative like that. that tells there's, yeah, it's so, it's so singing cool. But the one thing he does show that was fascinating is how God keeps adjusting Mm-hmm. in his law giving because we didn't start out with 613 right we started out with 10 right and then how did it grow from there and it was all in response to what was happening with the humans yeah you know and that's so, really interesting yes 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 so there's so much great scholarship out there on some of these things but at the end of the day at the end of the day um we still have to receive this as a grace or not. Um, there, are, there are so many reasons that you can find to um, support, live by, uh, value the scriptures. And there are loads of reasons not to. Yeah. And no matter the work that you do intellectually or scholarly or whatever, mm. At the end of the day, there is a will, what William James called a will to believe. Right. Or not. Either you can put up with the mess and see it as beautiful and be compelled by it in the same way you and I are by the church. Yeah. Or you can just look at it and say, well, this whole thing is the worst thing ever and God clearly did a horrible job. Yeah, no, definitely like in a way that requantifies what faith is. Hmm. How so? Well, because it gives you, because what you're saying is like you're choosing between these two postures. One of them is like, whatever, I'm out. Or one of them is like, all right, there's there's stuff to be sorted through and wrestled with in this. And uh, it's going to be difficult for me to make sense of all of that. But I'm choosing to stand in that posture. And that's kind of faith, right? Like it's. Yeah, or I holding have, both postures simultaneously. Or I'm finding value in both. I was going to say about something you said earlier is like even in the things that you dig or can't understand or find opposition to or whatever, that there's still value to be found in the understanding of what that is. Right. Just as much as finding like the, oh, God was actually doing this. That's great. I feel better about uh, holy war and that kind of stuff because now I understand it. There's value in that. There's also value in the other side of it because it's still giving you some yeah. f- some piece of food. Yeah, that's really good, dude. All right, Seth. Yes. Time to wrap it up, baby. Oh yeah. Okay, you oh, introed yeah. the episode. You tickled your way through the episode, and now <laughs> you're gonna close it. All right, you got some notes. You want to mm. tell us what's on those notes? Yeah. Okay, tell us everything, Seth. Um, Miss Lucy. I Miss Lindsay, you. I love you. I love you too, and I love you too. <laughs> oh, uh, and here and him pointing um, to me, Daddy Mike. Daddy Mike. And you great day, up Voxology. I'm gonna have a great day you. with Voxology with you, Tim Stafford. And um, Nate Erie. And Nate Erie, who Nate, we miss, he's away at college. Nate Erie, we called him for Nate Erie soccer. Yeah, I played soccer. We got to watch him on TV uh, last night. Guys, up, uh, thank you, up, uh, up. Uh, to Bonnie and thank you to Bonnie, Miss Miss Racy and Miss Lindsay and Noah and Tyler. 
And Noel and Tice, Miss Lindsay is a, a co-worker of mine at the church that watches Seth sometimes, who he adores. And it's a thank you to all of you guys. Thank you. And <laughs> thank you for coming. Uh, to tune in. Foxfox.com. Fox I go to Fox. Fox. Ology. Fox. I was podcast. Dot com. Fox. I was podcast. Mike. Daddy Mike, yep. Vossology Podcast, DaddyMike.com is Ooh. what you're looking okay. for. Okay, <laughs> thank you coming. Thank you to win. And we are a Fox Allergy Podcast graduation. Yes. <laughs> thank you for tuning in. He said we are the Voxology Podcast. Well, thank Congratulations. you everybody with Tim and Yep, thank you everybody with Tim Stafford, Daddy Mike. Well, on that note, friends, we'll see ya. Thank you, thank you, thank you for listening to this conversation. Voxology is a 501c3 nonprofit organization that is supported by listeners just like yourself. If you'd like to partner with us, you can do so at patreon.com backslash Voxology. You can also Join the community and hang out and chat with us on the socials. Facebook.com backslash Voxology Podcast and on Instagram at Voxology. Thank you, thank you, thank you for walking the long road with us.